Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 51 of the Midnight Fur Broker Podcast. Ben, we have surpassed the golden year episode last week. We're here again, and uh, I know for listenership, you can't see me, but I'm using a nice little Zoom background here, and I'm on- I love it. You look like you are down the street from me right now, honestly. (laughs) Currently wearing a Hawaiian shirt with a straw fedora on top of my head, so um, it looks a little breezy. According to my background, so how's the oh, hey, weather for you guys today? And the weather, honestly, it looks exactly like it does behind you. And I think my <laughs> wife and I are going to be taking the baby to the beach tonight. And I will text you a photo when we get over there. But uh, nice, it's funny. That's what I said as soon as you came on the call. I said you look like I did last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I was supposed to be in Myrtle Beach this week, but uh, obviously, I think I said it before with the new, this travel restrictions here in New York. Had to had to cancel that one, but it's okay, you know. Still chugging along here. So first of all, I wanted to kind of hop into some sports stuff we got going on. Quick little update here. Um, first one is the the false positive COVID tests in the NFL. So hometown hit here, my Buffalo Bills, uh, with training camp going on and everything. They did, they did a bunch of COVID tests for some of the players, and like almost eighty of them came back positive. So they, you know, the coach thinks that there's 80 positive COVID cases on the Buffalo Bills or whatever. It might have been throughout the league. And then they're like, there's no way. So they go ahead and they do a retest overnight and ends up that these players are actually not positive. So there's some false COVID positive, false positive COVID-19 tests going around in the NFL. So thought that was interesting. Have you guys, uh, um, have you seen anything with any kind of COVID testing with your Steelers or? Anything else and down in your area even? I, I'll tell you what I did see yesterday. Our governor announced that they're going to allow Jacksonville and Miami to seat, I think, 13,000 people for each wow. game. And he yeah. caught a ton of flack that I saw immediately after it from everybody going, what about trade shows and everything else? Why are we restricted here? And you're going to play favor to yeah. this and so, all the turmoil and all the backlash you would expect. Yeah, so it's funny. Um, the coach of the Bills, Sean McDermott, got really pissed the other day because Miami announced, I think it's week two, Buffalo's playing in Miami because we're in the same division. So we play them twice a year, once home, once away. And they're like, yeah, we're definitely going to have, um, you know, limited capacity of fans down here. And McDermott's, right now, it looks like there's no fans for Buffalo. It's still up in the air, but he's like, this is basically BS. It's garbage if some teams can do it, but other teams can't. Um, it's more on our governor than anything, but yeah, it's funny. It's crazy how that is. And, uh, my, my Buffalo bills in addition this year, the, the, uh, sponsorship from new era was pulled. I think they had like a bunch of financial hits with the pandemic yeah. and they're paying like four or five mil a year to sponsor the bill stadium. So it's currently Buffalo bills stadium or just bill stadium. Barstool sports asked if they could, by the naming rights, which will never happen. The NFL would never approve it because, first of all, um, the – oh, my hat disappeared into my virtual background for a second there. The the head guy over at Barstool Prez, he has a long-standing feud with 
um, the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. So that would never happen. Not to mention they're pretty off color and controversial. So, yeah. Um, but I'm excited with for NFL coming up. It w- would be preseason right now. Obviously it's not, um, big fantasy drafts coming up right around now. Everyone's getting excited. I know my wife's doing hers on Saturday and, uh, I somehow got booted out of that league like two years ago. I, somehow, I don't remember why. Somehow. But, don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> really? Don't remember. Don't want to share. I think she kicked me out. It was before we were married. <laughs> and then she was like, you're not doing it anymore. And now I have to, I think I have to play dad babysitter that day now. So probably at the draft and just have to watch it. But, um, yeah, overall it should be interesting. Cause like, limited fans as they're tailgating there's so much debate going around the league right now so um interesting interesting stuff in the world of sports man and at least there's something interesting to follow i mean as much as no matter what side of the fence you're on no matter which side you want to see whether you know you think some team should be able to have some attendance or vice versa at least there's something to talk about and you know three months ago four months ago there was literally nothing so hey it's moving the right direction Absolutely. Um, so let's get into it. Today's episode. Well, first of all, if you, if anyone listening, if you're first time, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get the latest content every Friday when it drops at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Leave that review. There's like 50 some reviews out there right now. Um, all five stars except for one that had no comment. Someone left a one star. So I think we're sitting at a 4.9, something like that. So whoever you were, you better give me a call or, or hit us with an email. Let us know why you left one star. You're probably a Patriots fan or something, but um, we're going to get into it. So today's episode is we're, we're going to revisit the topic of ambulance chasing like we did. Uh, we talked about on an episode probably about a month or six weeks ago, something like that. Ben, you brought it up. So we're going to kind of broaden it here and talk about targeting leads uh, overall. So how can you, um, you know, how can you take it? I guess, advantage of or capitalize on a certain situation or time of the year to try and get additional business or some new business. So Ben, when it comes to ambulance chasing, um, let's kind of recap what that was. You dealt with it in the past in the W2 model. Uh, what, what was the ambulance chasing model overall? And then we're going to get into some specific examples of what, what people can actually do. I mean, the way, and and the way I learned it, the way I've taught it was, it was a, you know, an analogy with what attorneys do, right? Literally chasing ambulances. I'm not saying that's all attorneys and I'm not saying that that's a knock against attorneys if any of you are out there listening, but more to the fact that, you know, they chase the problems, right? If there's somebody in ambulance, there was definitely an accident. That's where that came from. Right. And what it really is, is it's a, it's a great way, a, a metaphor, if you will, to look at if I'm going to be prospecting, I just want to increase the odds that where I'm going to be putting my activity and my effort is focused on where they're likely to have an issue, right? So tightness of capacity, um, lack of capacity, that's technically chasing the problem, right? So in a normal year, we've got the produce calendars, you know, we've got the schedule of what comes. And if anybody out there wants to know what really happens with the carrier market is, they chase the highest rates, right? So capacity shifts around the country based on where the money is. So Definitely. when produce pops, yep. That's a great point. I think, you know, when you say chasing and increasing those odds, really what you're doing is you're identifying where there's an increased need for your service. And the same thing goes outside of freight brokering or the legal um, or, you know, I guess attorney world. It could be a product that you have, right? So, if you're selling a certain product, like I was listening to a podcast earlier today and a girl talked about a business that she runs 
and she's worried that her numbers are going to drop. And they're asking, why do you think they're going to drop when you just crush it the last two months? Well, hers was based around um, college. And she's like, mm-hmm. now that everyone started, they're not going to need as much of my prep course work that I've been selling and teaching. So it might decrease a little bit and then increase between semesters or at the end of the year and over summertime. So just being, just being aware of when the, the need for brokerage services and transportation services overall, when it's going to increase, that's going to be a key factor to success. So um, you brought up produce. It's a great place to start. Um, we do have a, we can put together like a, a somewhat of a produce calendar, slap a little Midnight Freight Broker logo on it and, and share it with you guys. We'll put it in the show notes either this week or at some point in the future. It's, it's a great tool. We've kind of compiled some data from the past from our experiences and we'd love to share it with all of you so you know when certain stuff's going into harvest. So um, Ben, it's August and August right now, what are we looking at as far as produce? So what's coming up and it's really just following the crop schedules, right? Because the larger crops, that's where the drivers know they're going to go after those. That's where the rates are going to spike. And we've talked about that on earlier episodes, right? But coming up through this August, right? We have pineapples coming in. We've got red and gold potatoes. We've got limes, broccoli, russet potatoes, gala apples. Um, Those are the big crops coming up, getting ready to harvest. They're going to be hitting the market this month. That's a great commodity to be looking at, to be prospecting for because, well, you only have a certain amount of time. And and why don't we shed a little bit, a a little bit of light on why, I mean, why would anybody want to prospect, you know, red or gold potatoes right now, Nate? Well, I think you got to look at, like you just said, it's based around the harvest season, right? So as far as the carrier side of it, if you know there's going to be a big need for it, and I've dealt with many, many agents in the past that have been huge on potatoes and onions because those two will carry you through the majority of the year with harvest. You'll see some stuff popping as early as like May. Um, but if that's when harvest is, you know, there's going to be a big need for it. You got to start lining up all those vented vans or those, those reefer trailers, um, whatever the case might be, because you know, there's going to be a huge surge for the shipment of them across the country. So increased demand is a huge identifying factor for the need of your services as a freight broker. So target those, follow that schedule. And another example too, I'm working with an agent right now that he's up in Eastern Washington state. And like you said, gala apples, um, there's some other um, less common types of apples as well that are entering uh, the harvest season right around now and then into early September. And he's been at the produce sheds, getting with them, line up carriers left and right the last like three to four weeks. So that's the kind of backwards planning that you've got to do is figure out when are the trucks needed? How long will it take me to get these uh, carriers dedicated onto these lanes if I'm going to go that route, do the math on it. And that's when you have to start doing all the work. I went on a tangent there with apples, but you know, no, it's good. That, that's a short, that's a long answer to your short question. <laughs> I think it was, it was a great point, Nate. The other side is try to look at it from the other view. So if you're a broker, right, your customer's a shipper, put yourself in their shoes, even just for a moment and think about it. If you planted and you spend all of this effort and all of this money to plant these crops, to farm these crops, you only have a short window to get these crops out of the field and to the market, Right. Same as it's always been the history since we've been farming, right? Well, what happens if you don't have a load shipped by the time that product is no longer shelf worthy, right? It's literally worth nothing, right? So if you got a $50,000 shipment of whether it's onions, lettuce, apples, or strawberries, and it doesn't get out by when it needs to get out, it's literally worth nothing. So you're going to lose shelf life. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And then as a shipper, you're willing to pay way much more than you would because your risk of loss at not getting that to market is just that great. It becomes literally zero in value, right? Absolutely. There is a, um, another angle to that too. And that is if the, <clears throat> let's say there's a backup in transportation, which leads to a backup in storage, because there are some produce types such certain kinds of apples can have um, certain gases pulled out of them and they can actually have like an eight or nine month um, shelf life, believe it or not, before they're taken out of that environment and put on the, on a trailer and, and move. But if you run out of storage space and then your, your crops aren't getting picked on time, you're going to either have spoiled crops or your fields aren't ready for the next uh, plant or next harvest. I mean, you're going to back up everything. And the last thing they want to worry about is some freight broker not getting the truck in there on time, being the reason that they're losing millions of dollars uh, worth of uh, product. So it's great, great point overall. So I think by doing that backwards plan and figuring out where the need is, getting in touch with these folks ahead of time and getting carriers lined up, whether that is hitting your regulars up doing some mass email blasts, doing research in your TMS to figure out which carriers that you guys have a history with and which areas with the right equipment type. Do all of that work. And that's the kind of work you could do in your downtime when you've done your prospecting and you've covered all your loads, but you've got that couple hours at the end of the day, or maybe it's a Saturday and you want to be that broker that goes above and beyond. Get to work on that stuff before those big uh, hit times actually happen. And what so. does that not mean, right, Nate? We talked about this on earlier episodes. You know, my sales coaching hat is creative avoidance. This is work that needs to be done, but this is not work that you should be doing instead of picking up the phone and yes. that activity and reaching out and really getting out there to put yourself in front of people. For sure. So let's look at another example. And these are all real world. We've seen this kind of stuff before. That's why we want to talk about it. So um, I have seen... And actually, COVID-19 has had an impact on this or has fallen into this category as well is if you look at capacity when it comes to a natural disaster like a hurricane, a fire, a winter storm, tornadoes, um, and then especially with COVID with the ridiculous amount of surge in shipping we had for certain retail items or grocery items. So whether it's a storm, COVID, whatever, you're going to see a surge in demand. So getting into those areas and really capitalizing on that increased need, that's going to be a huge way for you to use this ambulance chasing methodology to try and generate more business. So um, Ben, if you, I mean, I know you don't really get snowstorms in Florida. I mean, if you had snowstorms in Florida, that'd be a great example of it because you know, no one expects it, but have you, have you worked in your broken experience with natural disasters or anything like that? Yeah, I did work. I managed the government business with um, at my previous employer. So managed a lot of FEMA, supported the hurricanes, was involved in supporting the hurricanes when they shipped the trailers over to Puerto Rico and organizing for that. A lot of water, a lot of ice, a um, lot of drop trailers, a lot of daily margin that's sitting out there. So very profitable um, line of business to be in because for the same reason produce, right? What happens is when a hurricane's coming, if you need to get these loads off your dock, like what's going on likely right now, right? And the Houston and the area with Laura coming up is- Clear everything out of there. Get everything out because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long it'll sit here. And it either needs to go in some cases or it's not worth as much. So they're willing to pay that to get it out. So on the front end of a hurricane and on the back end, there are opportunities there. But to the Absolutely. winter storm side, 
One of my one of my favorite examples just in my head when you had said that was I remember when we had these cold fronts going through the Midwest. I want to say it was like two, three years ago. Um, all of Chicago froze over for like two days, three days. And I remember calling through the fleets that I worked with and like my dedicated carriers. They're like, Ben, out of our 50 trucks, we've got five running. Like we're trying to keep them running. They were trying to keep the trucks running 24 hours a day. The guys were literally just running, putting gas in these and just trying to keep the engines running to not let them freeze over. But still, I mean, it had such a drastic impact when they came through that we were losing 25, 30, 40% of the capacity for a few days. That has a big backlog on what happens in a city. And the amount of loads that don't get moved, the amount of backlog that then some shippers then have, then they need additional. So all those shifts of supply and demand definitely have an effect, definitely provide, create opportunities for carriers as well as brokers. I think one of the big differences between this and the produce part is that produce, you have a lot longer of a planning window, whereas we don't know exactly when hurricanes are going to hit or where they're going to hit. We can tell when they're starting to form as a tropical uh, storm or whatever over the Atlantic or from whatever side, right? Yep. Um, we don't know the trajectory. We don't know where it's going to get hit the hardest, if it's going to actually escalate. And you only have maybe five days to a week if you do not have everything perfect. Whereas with produce, it happens every year at the exact same time, as long as the climate's not drastically different. And what does that mean though, Nate? And I know that when I was prospecting and shipping produce or, and I didn't do that much of it to be honest, but I did move Christmas trees. And I would remember like we would get ahead of that by three, four months because whoever they're going to pick to ship, they're not picking day of, they're not picking a week before their crops come up. Like they're establishing these relationships. They've worked with some of the carriers for years. They're going to be looking for additional capacity because nobody has just, nobody's moving all of their business, right? Right. Even if they've got someone they like, they need a little bit more just in case. And they usually spread out. Even if one carrier's got 80, 70% of their business, they might have three or four other carriers supporting that other 25%. Definitely. Christmas tree one is a great example. I don't know how we miss that in produce because it kind of is part of produce. Actually, I had had an agent that uh, we did some business with in the past that he used to send out mail. He did like physical mail out flyers to hundreds of carriers every year probably around like October or September, whatever, just kind of getting the, getting the uh, buzz in their ear months ahead of time. Cause obviously once Thanksgiving is done, it's like black Friday, your Christmas season, hundred percent. So you got to get ahead of that stuff. Now this, the natural disaster hurricane side of it, a lot shorter planning window, the good will shine and the bad will fall on their face. So you've got to really be on top of your toes. And there's a lot more of a rat race going on trying to, get a hold of capacity ASAP. Everyone's trying to get their hands on it. So be prepared for that kind of stuff. So cool. Um, next one we got on here is to, to look at projects that are coming up down the road in the future. So there's a lot of examples of this. Now, um, a longstanding project example that has many smaller projects within it. An example, the oil fields in Texas. Okay. They're all over the place. You're moving uh, tubing, piping, um, you've got crane mats going. Um, other examples, for example, we have a Tesla plant here in Buffalo and we knew it was going up. There's a lot of stuff it took years to do, but we knew it was coming before they even broke ground, before stuff started getting delivered. Um, other examples, you've got road construction, you've got 
development of schools. Like there's a, a middle school across the street for me that they're getting all their AC units and HVAC units redone to COVID standard right now to have those uh, whatever put in. But anyway, when these projects come up, the stuff has to get there. And it's not like it's a surprise that it just happens. But a lot of times you can use tools like Google alerts or any other various researching tools, whether it's just subscribing to news outlets or, you know, reading articles, you name it, you can get your own intelligence ahead of time to know what's coming up so you can prepare for it. So, and a lot of time you'll know before the bids go out so you can get ahead of the game. Absolutely. And two of the big ones that I, that I had success with were stringing pipe down in, you know, from Houston and, you know, Beaumont out to West Texas, out to the Odessa area. Um, the other nice part about that is, is they're really niche. So if you establish that relationship and you run a project, you typically become the consistent guy to run the next one and the next one and the next one. And you, you usually have less competition because there are some specialties. There's definitely some things you need to do with it, whether it's pipe stakes, whether it's stringing the pipe, what have you, right? That's just one more barrier to entry that your competitors have to get over to fight you for that business. And what that means is you can typically, I don't want to say just charge a little more because that, but when it's that specialized and you're that skilled and you understand it well enough to prevent the problems for your customers, they're willing to pay more to have less risk, right? Definitely. That's that premium you should be charging. And this came up with a client and I just wanted to add this. Somebody asked me this this week is, you know, should I charge more when I have to do more? And the answer is yes. You should not hesitate for charging the value that you provide. Like, don't feel bad about that. That's not a moral issue. That's what everybody does. That's the point of capitalism. I agree 1000%. That's a, it's a great example. I've, I've worked with many folks over the years that have done a lot of construction type stuff like um, Walsh construction is a big company. And I I know they're very project based. So there can be, I had an agent that one month she might do $60,000 in profit on all of her business. And she's working like a dog. And the next month that there's no project going on, or if it's done, you might be a quarter of that. So, or it could be zero if you've got nothing else. And say, Nate, I did, I did a lot of projects with one of the large international steel companies. And what I did was they would bring the boats in and then the stevedores would pull them right off. They were brake bulk, right? So loose pipe, brake ball coming into New Orleans, they had to go to, let's just say half a dozen to a dozen different steel mills, right? So the value that I provided to them and why I became the go-to for every shipment that came in, right, was the fact that I would go through the BOLs, I would audit them, I would provide them a report back to the customer. This went to this location, this was confirmed received. I would organize those BOLs. Like that's an example of how you can go a step beyond what's asked of you to add that value and then become that trusted partner indefinitely, right? Definitely. And being there for the long run. And I mean, those are, the, those are the things that were like, you know, the project would be 50 loads a week, maybe for three months, and then you might have a gap for two months. Might, might be three months, right? But you're that go-to provider. You can charge a premium because you're doing the extra work. And just like you said in your example, those weren't 40-hour weeks for me and my team. Those were 70-hour weeks for my team. And we would do them for three months in a row made good money, was nice to get a break and then to get back through. So, I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities and niches within there where you can make a very yeah. good living. That made me think of, this is a, a little bit of a turn, but when you talked about 70 hour day or 70 hour weeks, um, US mail peak season is a big one and a lot of it's contract based and it's co-brokered and stuff like that. Um, we had a team in the past that I, that we had worked with at a company that they had 
and I might have mentioned this before. They would I have like, like the story. Yep. Three I remember to three you telling me. Three and a half weeks where they worked around the clock, but they would make like 90% of their um, annual profit in a three week span, somewhere between Christmas, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, and they would boost up and beef up their team. They had overnight people. And then they just go to the beach and have a background similar to mine right now and just kind of hang out. And then come like March, they're like, all right, let's get back into it. Just a little bit of maintenance loads here and there to mm-hmm. kind of keep customers happy and then slowly wind back in. And then peak season again, the next year, they just hammer it out 90% of that annual business all in like a three and a half week span. So um, good. That's good stuff. And there's, there's a laundry list of examples like this. We just wanted to hit on relevant ones that we have personal experience with that are um, really good to get your mind thinking about what else is out there. Um, well, and to that point, Nate, and I mean, yeah. where did, and, and I'm going to ask this, I mean, you think about it, like, where did you find out about some of these projects? Um, well, a lot of it comes through the relationships that I've had with different brokers and agents myself. I think a lot yep. of it comes from learning from someone else who's done it before, but I'm also a huge fan of doing your own research and even asking other people how they do their research and then kind of adjusting that. The more knowledge you have, you could try to sift through and figure out what is actually valuable to you. Um, but I think it's a mix of doing your own research and then also learning from others that have done it before, because you're not gonna be the first person to ever work a project, you know? hundred percent. Where I was going to go with that was, is if you're a trainee out there somewhere and you're in your first few months or the first six months or first year, right? Great resources. Find the most senior person in your office or that you can reach that's willing to spend some time with you and ask them. Um, Number one. Number two, the carriers that you're already booking or check calling or whatever that is that you're doing business with right now, ask around. Those carriers know what these projects are because they're, it's almost like a knitting circle. All these carriers talk to each other. All these drivers talk to each other. They're on the message boards. They know which projects went through. They know which ones they want. They're chasing that same opportunity that the brokers are. Don't just look at them as a means to an end. Look at your carriers as a resource of information and leverage that, right? Absolutely. That is that is crucial. I think there, there's a common theme that we've re, we've repeated over and over week after week, and that is to learn from someone that's done it before and offer some kind of value so you're not just a burden to them. So, I like that. Um, the last example we had here, and like I said, there's a ton of these. Um, we want to hit on some main ones is, and this one's a little bit different. So, getting in, getting in the ear of your drivers on current loads and lanes that you're running Find out, get some feedback and some intel on what is going on at the delivery locations. Or if your customer is actually the delivery, how about the origin, the pickup? Find out, you know, are they having issues there? Does it look like there's driver complaints or the, you know, they just can't get trucks in there? What are you hearing from the employees at the company? And that's where you can give a huge referral bonus to a carrier, give them a really, really good rate, take care of them somehow. But it's a great way to get a little bit more knowledge and and try to figure out, is there a problem there? Should I ambulance chase the situation right now? Because I think that's going to be a very, very good way to do it. And there's not always problems, you know, but the bad days, when the bad days happening, you know who to call. That is when you're going to get some more business. And they know that, like I said, the drivers were my best source of information when I was as a trainee, just spending the time talking to them and just spend some time asking questions. Like they knew who the good shippers are. They knew who they want to work with. And most of them have been around the country and know those names will likely say, Hey, you know what? Yeah. You want to call so-and-so when I'm in Rome, Georgia, that's who I want to work with. Or if I'm in this area, right, that's where I want to go pick up at. And then you just ask them, Hey, if I were to reach out to them, who would I ask for? 
nine times out of 10, they may even know the person you want to be reaching out to and have the phone number for all you yep. know. That's it's good. These are, these are all great examples. And these are good takeaways. So I'm curious if, if you guys have any other specific examples that you want us to talk about or questions on it, or just kind of share experiences, shoot us a message, go to midnightfreightbroker.com, leave a comment or just leave it in the review or just email us, whatever you want to do. And we would love to talk about them and kind of share some, some other people's feedbacks. Um, any last thoughts on ambulance chasing before we hop into some pretty good Q and a here? No, I, I just think the biggest takeaway is to look at the underlying issue. I mean, if there's a risk, if there's a problem and things are shifting and changing, remember at the end of the day, it's all about supply and demand. One side isn't more important than the other. The customer, the load isn't more important than the truck and the truck isn't more important than the load. They both have equal value depending on which market you're in, what time of year and whether or not that supply, where that supply demand curve falls depends on whether or not you want the loads or whether or not you want to have the trucks. Yeah, that, that's a huge point. It's a very fluid industry overall. You just got to keep, keep a good pulse rate on it and stay ahead yep. of the curve. So, well, cool. Um, today's questions come from Reddit. I feel like Reddit is my new favorite place to go for freight broker information. There's like a few thousand people on the freight broker um, Reddit or subreddit, whatever it's called. And there are some really good questions, some really funny things on there. And a lot of newbies that ask some might sound stupid, but they're legit questions that they, you know, if you're new, you might not know. So um, the first question we have, this is from someone that is actually, they're not an agent. They're not a W-2. They have to have started their own brokerage based on this question. I would imagine. It said, what, go, what should I put in the shipper packet as a broker for my customer? So the reason I said I'm assuming that they have their own brokerage is because if you're W-2 or an agent, your company probably already has a packet to give out to them. Um, maybe you're, maybe this person's at a smaller company and they're trying to figure it out as a group. Uh, here's what I think. When you're going to give your information to a customer, I think two of the really good ones that you're going to want to have are your authority and your W-9. You'll be surprised how many customers will not ask for that and they probably should have it. Um, I've seen other things depending on the type of load where they're going to want to see um, every insurance document. They might want to see your asset authority information or SCAT code, smart way certificate, um, you name it, all kinds of stuff. Your bond. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you could put in there, but I think at a minimum, I think W9 and authority are good. And then as a caveat, I'm a big fan of having a, like a fillable uh, customer setup form as an option where if they've got any specific billing, I guess, special billing information or anything that's just kind of out of the norm if they want to paste it in there uh, or have you type it in for them. That's a great one to add in as well. Well, that's a big tip. The one of the things that, and you think about it, like the point of this, right, as a broker is you want to turn that shipper into a customer. You want to be able to do business with them, right? So use this as another opportunity to put service first, right? fill out what you know about them. Oh, yeah. Go through it with them. Take some of the time so that you're not just sending this and then aggressively waiting for the phone to ring when they're sending it back, right? Like help walk them through it. Whatever that is, help your customer, help your shipper through it. Make it easier on them. The, the whole point of it is to facilitate it so that you guys can both join and start a, you know, a fruitful relationship going forward. Absolutely. I, I love that idea. You'd be surprised how many people send a blank multi-page packet and say, here it is, fill it out and get it back to me. It's like, and then are pissed when it doesn't come back immediately. It's like, you know, their name, you yeah. know, their address. You probably have a phone number for them. If you talk to them, like you've yep. got some basic, get as much info as you can. 
All right. Uh, D&B number, if you're asking for that, go to the freaking Dun & Bradstreet website. You can look this stuff up and match it without having a, uh, an actual subscription account with them. You can get a lot of basic information off the internet. Do your diligence. Pull what you can. Good answer, though. I like it. All right. Next one. What are the pros and cons of moving dedicated freight versus spot market? And this was more um, having dedicated lanes that you're contracted on where you're required to cover it, even if it's a loss versus playing that spot market, hoping stuff falls off and that there's daily loads available um, yep. in that realm. Um, I'm a big spot market guy. It's where a lot of margin can be. But what are your thoughts on dedicated lanes? I, the, well, to the question, right? Pros and cons. So dedicated freight, consistent, predictable, lower risk, lower margin, right? Spot freight. Last minute, didn't know about it. Most of the time, it's same day. It's got to go a lot more work and a lot faster, a lot higher risk, a lot higher margin, right? So Absolutely. you've got consistent lower margin versus high risk, high margin, right? I'm going to spend my time on the spot market, right? Because that's where the opportunity is. But it definitely depends on like, where you're at and what you're trying to do because you want a mix of both of these. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be an all high margin, high risk, and then that shipper then is able to change their operations a little bit and then they start bringing on some more asset, more dedicated lanes. You want a mix and you don't want to be that aggressive when you're, when you're you know, bidding out some of the dedicated freight too because when you are, likely you're going to have to take a couple hits in the chin to be able to serve that customer. Oh, yeah. It's funny. So like I, I've done, I've helped people do bid packets before like RFPs and stuff for mm-hmm. on an annual basis when there's like 2000 unique lanes that happen throughout the year. And some of the lanes to, to try to keep the pencil as sharp as possible on that bid, we would go at cost, you know, using like rate view or rate mate and, you know, other historical data. And then the only margin built in was whatever the fuel advanced, or I'm sorry, whatever the fuel surcharge schedule was, because some of those long lanes like that, you know, it, that couple hundred bucks on a repeat basis, that will get your overall, that lower margin will help you win. And, you know, you're going to make up for it with some of those shorter lanes where you might make 30% because it's only a 40 mile run or something like that. So it's a very, I, I hate the annual bid thing. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I get why customers do it, but well, so many, so on. much freight gets rejected or. Yeah. So right now, and I was, I was watching this on freight waves earlier today was the fact that like the rejections are up and the conversation that everybody is having is that most brokers, most carriers are going back to the shippers and asking for price increases or they're giving the lanes back because remember yeah. the dedicated freight isn't a guaranteed truck, by the way, it's a oh, commitment yeah. to pick it up. Like yep. you're not obligated to pick it up. So they will reject it if the rates are not in line with what they were doing. And a lot of that's happening right now in the market. Yep. And so you might bet it 12 months out. You don't know when a hurricane's going to hit or when some other project's going to pop up or when COVID's going to hit or a wildfire happens. This is all unpredictable stuff. So and you, when you look at, you mentioned tender rejection, when that, when that tender rejection rate is hovering around 10% and, and creeps up from there, I don't know exactly what it is right now. Um, you think about it, if you spend so much money and you hire a third party to do a bid process for you and one out of 10 loads gets kicked back throughout the year, that's pretty bad. That's a, the that's routing a guys cost. are falling apart. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if you or I in our jobs, if we just utterly failed 10% of the time. One that's out of really times. bad. 
Yeah. Really, really and, bad. And for these companies that have five, 6,000 loads going out the door every week, right? That's 500 loads not getting picked up, right? Within oh, yeah. two weeks, they're almost an entire, well, you got what? Yeah. All on the math, 20% behind. Either way, it, it's, and then the other side of this, like some people, and we've done this, right? Just like you said, like they might bid a lane out that is profitable 10 months out of the year, knowing they're going to take losses for two months and are willing to do that because on a year it makes sense. But if you're a smaller brokerage, you may not be able to do that. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a very, very good point. Uh, good discussion on that. That's, uh, that's often, I see that question come up quite a bit. So, all right, cool. Last question we got here. Do you make more money when the rates are low or if when the rates are high? Now, this is, I'm assuming when we're talking about overall rates are up across the board. Um, this could be specifically when carrier pricing's high. It really all depends. If, mm -hmm. if rates are up overall, it's usually because it, you're going to have kind of like, you know, the, I don't know if you can see this right now with my pen, it might be appearing behind me, but when the, uh, when the carrier capacity is tight and their rates go up, the customer rate doesn't always follow exactly. It kind of takes some time to catch up mm -hmm. to it. So that's a lot where you've got a big gap between the bigger capacity on the carrier side and the customer rates haven't fallen down yet. That's when you're going to make a lot of money and a lot of profit. Um, to answer the question from a hypothetical, if they're following each other exactly, I mean, I guess if you keep the same profit, you're going to make more, I guess, more profit dollar wise when the rates are higher, but you've got to follow yeah. that schedule and see kind of in that up and down curve where, you know, where are the, the carrier rates and the customer rates kind of catching up with each other. So, you know, like 2018 driver shortage coming up on ELDs. Uh, capacity crisis, customer rates didn't follow right away. That's why brokers were like, oh, this is so hard. I, you know, I can't, I can't make any money doing this. It takes some time to educate the shipping community and the, and the customers on what is actually going on out there. So um, kind of an indirect answer there. I might, might dance around it, but what do you think, Ben? I think the most direct way to answer it is if you're holding your margins consistent and you're making, let's just say 15 to 20% on every load, Yes. If the rates are at 5,000 to go coast to coast versus 4,000, your 15% is greater dollar wise off the larger number. So simple math. Yes. Just simple. When rates are higher, you hold the same percentage, you should make more. The reality of it is, is like you said, they don't correlate exactly. So just because carrier rates are going up and capacity is tightening doesn't necessarily mean your customer is on board with paying any of them yet. They're going to hold off as long as humanly possible there's some nuances in how this actually goes down on a daily basis. Oh yeah. Uh, it's funny. So like I said, customer rates won't always follow as uh, you know, that right away when carrier rates go up, but you know, they're wanting those prices to go down as soon as carrier rates go down. So if you get someone that's smart enough and they're into as a shipper, if they're smart enough and they're in tune with the industry and the rates, be prepared for that stuff. So yeah, good discussion. Cool, man. Does uh, you know, good questions, good episode. Any final thoughts? Yeah. One is, you know, just putting that out there. Hey, if you're a listener, just, you know, put out a review. We'd appreciate it. And also if you got any questions, feel free to reach out to Nate or I through LinkedIn or through our website. I mean, one of the reasons why we do this is to obviously provide some value. We enjoy chatting through these issues, but it's also to help you out there. So if you do have a question, don't hesitate. I know if probably about a half dozen people have reached out to me in the past week or two that I've followed up with. Hopefully I've been able to provide some guidance and connect them with some people to help them through the issues. That's why we do this. 
don't hesitate if you're a fan and you got a question you want to reach out that's what we're here for we don't charge you to answer questions our advice is worth exactly what you pay for it so (laughs) (laughs) hope it's worth more than that but uh good good stuff well thanks for listening until next time go bills that wraps up this episode of the midnight freight broker podcast thanks for joining us make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content Check out the show notes for links to any content that you've heard in this episode. Visit us on the web at www.midnightfreightbroker.com. And feel free to contact me if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency. And if you'd like to learn more about what I do or are interested in us running a complimentary sales training for your sales team, please reach out through LinkedIn or our website once again at midnightfreightbroker.com. See you all in the next episode.